Get it going this hour. It is Thursday, November 16th. Welcome to the Scotiabank Saddledome and welcome to the Sports Drive brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. This Christmas, give the gift of security with smart locks and safes. Visit CalgaryLockandSafe.com. Aaron Vickers of NHL.com. My name is Pat Steinberg. Hello, Vix. Patrick. How are we doing? Yet to be determined. Okay. We'll find out in a little bit. Okay. Vix is. Uh, very influenced, apparently. Very, very um, uncertain as to what his dinner is going to be tonight. So uh, that is uh, that's important to Aaron Vickers, and I hope you go with the chicken There's a, fingers. There was a big conversation off air. The front runner is in fact chicken fingers and fries. They're delicious because I'm a 12 year old. They're delicious. Um, there's a lot of talk right now about what the Flames need to do going forward. What direction the Flames should take going forward. Let's dive in on that. Uh, by the way, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts, we're coming at you from the hot stove lounge here at the Scotiabank Saddledome. Should the Flames stay the course? Should the Flames stick with this group, sign a couple guys to extensions, and keep going forward with this group? Or should they rebuild? Should they retool, reload, refurbish, rejig, oh. remaster, revise? Do all those things mean the same thing to you? You could toss in a renovate. Do they need to renovate? But then I have to say it, renovate, and that doesn't work as well because it's got to be re. So I can't say oh, renovate. Oh, my bad. Be renovate. But do all those things, retool, refurbish, reload, rejig, remaster, are those? Are they all the same thing? Are they just words that no. are – are they Are they just synonyms? Not for me. I think – Does re- each one have a different meaning for you? Rebuild and retool have a different one. So me. when you say rebuild, it just means you tear it down and, and start rebuild right is from right from the, the studs. Okay. Tear okay. it right Fair down. Re- retool is moving some pieces out and bringing some pieces in. Those would be hockey trade type things. Okay. In my books, uh, I don't necessarily have a definition for refurbish, but I did underline it on the sheet because I appreciated it so much. <laughs> I I get excited over the stupidest things in the world. How about Greg and Varsity suggesting regurgitate? That could be what they do if they decide to stay with this group. It would just be regurgitating, I guess. That would work. Um, Okay, but you know what I'm saying. I do. Should they stay the course or should they go in a different direction? And a different direction, no matter what word you want to use for it, a different direction means go younger and take a temporary step back in competitiveness. Whether that is a two-year step back, a five-year step back, or a 25-year step, you know what I mean. So as we have this conversation and talk about those re-words – Let's focus on the team the Flames are playing Thursday night, the Vancouver Canucks, or maybe not so much focus on them, but use them as a potential comparable for what the Flames could potentially do themselves. So the Vancouver Canucks are 12-3-1. They're on top of the Western Conference right now. And General Manager Patrick Alvin, along with Director of Hockey Ops Jim Rutherford, they, they did some really interesting work going back to last year's trade deadline as opposed to tearing it down and opposed to going in a completely different direction, 
they decided to, I guess you could call it, retool on the fly, reload on the fly, whatever the term may be. They traded Bo Horvat to the New York Islanders ahead of the trade deadline and got a pretty nice return, including a first-round pick. While they then used that first-round pick, and it was widely criticized, and, and I was probably one of those people yeah, who was, I was criticizing that, it. And I like Ronick. They, they used that first-round pick as part of the package to bring in Philip Ronick from the Detroit Red Wings. Well, Ronick's got 17 points in 16 games to start the season. Still a young defenseman who's helping them win games. The Canucks went out and added names like Carson Soucy, Pia Suter, Teddy Bluger, Casey DeSmith, Ian Cole over the offseason, and here they are. A lot of people are pointing to them as a great example of how you can rebuild on the fly. But this is a tough one for me because I don't like Calgary's kind of foundation anywhere near as much as I like Vancouver's foundation. What I mean by that is the Canucks decided to retool on the fly but do so around Elias Patterson, Quinn Hughes, and Thatcher Demko. Elite players, high-end players, all under the age of 27. Demko turns 28 very soon, but still, all 27 or under, rather. The Flames don't have that. The Flames don't have a player like Elias Pettersson. They don't have a defenseman like Quinn Hughes. And they don't have a young goaltender like Thatcher Demko, although we know that when Jacob Markstrom is on, he's a very good goaltender. And that's not trying to be offensive or or throw shade at Rasmus Anderson or Matt Coronado or Connor Zary or any of the other young, important pieces the Flames have. But they don't have a core like Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes, and Thatcher Demko, which makes it, in my eyes, a little bit harder to compare what Vancouver did and then say, well, Calgary can do the same thing. You know, am I, am I, is that too much semantics in your mind when having this conversation? No, I don't think you're all that far off because where I kind of see the Vancouver Canucks now, when you mentioned the core, Pedersen, Hughes, even Demko, Miller to a certain degree, even though he's on the older side of that, I don't see the Calgary Flames core lining up the same way as where Vancouver is now. I more liken where Vancouver is now to perhaps where the Calgary Flames were in 2018, 2019, when you had your top-end picks like Matthew Kachuk flourishing. Sean Monaghan was kind of banged up, but he was still a player that you could rely on. Johnny Gaudreau came out of nowhere, basically, as a fourth-round pick and, and shined. Then you had guys like Elias Lindholm contributing and on the upswing of their careers. I don't necessarily see a core that the Calgary Flames currently have now in terms of age range, in terms of performance, that lines up with what the Vancouver Canucks are able to roll out, that would lead me to go, okay, go get Carson Soucy and Ian Cole and spend a first-round pick on a Ronick. I don't see the parallels from the personnel standpoint as it stands today for the Calgary Flames to just move a couple pieces here and there and bring in other pieces. Yeah, I don't think they're comparable situations with just the general demographic of the rosters. I mean, last season, the Calgary Flames were one of the oldest in the NHL. They're certainly younger now and have injected a lot of youth into the lineup. And whether or not some of that youth, you mentioned Zary, Pospisil, Soloviev, if he, if and when he gets another look, Matt Coronado, you have a younger base coming up. But that's not an Elias, Elias Pettersson coming in after being CHL Player of the Year and CHL Rookie of the Year at the same time. You don't have a, a young player like Quinn Hughes coming up who, again, was a top-five pick and was lauded for 
being the next wave of kind of new age defenseman who can just simply be a fourth forward and attack without sacrifice. And he's had to work on his game, don't get me wrong, to round out the defensive elements of it. But the Calgary Flames, to me, aren't a quick fix or not a, what if we, you know, just let a bunch of guys go, we'll move our captain, we'll bring in a new culture, a new core surrounding um, Quinn Hughes as a new captain, and every younger player can just take a step forward. I don't know that the Calgary Flames have a similar arsenal to go about that similar game plan as the Vancouver Canucks did this summer. That is not to say that they shouldn't still look at going in a different direction. Right. I just don't know if it'll be as successful, and I don't know if it'll be as... You don't have the same core group to work around, so you might have to do it a little bit differently, or it might take a little bit longer. Somebody texted in and said, well, the Canucks have been rebuilding for X amount of years. How did they do it on the fly? The only thing I'd say to that is that you know, this this new management group, and Patrick Alvin is the general manager, has, has really only been on the job for a little bit, and... This past offseason was really the first time that he truly got his hands on the team and was able to start to shape it. So that would be my only pushback on that because, yes, the Canucks have kind of been wandering in the hinterland. Well, like even going back to 2013, Bull Horvat was a ninth overall pick. You had Jake Vertanen and Jared McCann the next year as first rounders. Vertanen, sixth overall. Besser was a 23rd overall, so not quite the same situation. But then you have Ulevi at five, Pedersen at five, Quinn Hughes at seven. Uh, Pod Coles in a ten, and you didn't you didn't smash it out of the park on all those top ten picks, but the fact is, as you look at Quinn Hughes as a top seven pick, Pedersen as a top five pick, and those are your two biggest building blocks that you have in the organization right now. You go back and you look, and when the Calgary Flames were drafting that high, Matthew Kachuk would be a top ten player in the NHL. Sam Bennett didn't necessarily pan out the way you you'd hoped when he was the highest draft pick in organizational history at number four, but then you've Again, for, for a long period of time, Sean Monaghan was your number one center. I'm not saying Monaghan would have become without the injury troubles that Elias Pettersson did hit. But the fact is the Vancouver Canucks did have a lot of top 10 picks, a, a lot of top seven picks, and yeah. they really cashed in on them. Again, I still think there's plenty to be said about the Flames going in a different direction. If Nikita Zadorov doesn't want to be here, then you trade him. Right. And if Elias... Uh, Elias... Elias Lindholm. Elias and Elias, yes. It's Elias Pettersson and Elias Lindholm. Uh, If Elias Lindholm isn't going to re-sign here, isn't interested in signing here long-term, then you've got about uh, three months to trade him. And if Chris Tanev has rejected a contract offer and you're going in a different direction, then, yeah, you should be trying to maximize Chris Tanev, move him back to Vancouver or or move him to Toronto or whatever the case may be. And obviously the same holds true for Hannafin. So I, I don't think that it should change how the Flames should go about moving their players or how they should go about approaching their their trades and their decisions. It's just more a situation of maybe don't expect it to be quite so bang, 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 or don't use Vancouver as the blueprint just because there are some pretty significant differences in my eyes. No, I agree with that. You're not sitting upstairs at the Saddle Dome going... Oh, look at the Vancouver Canucks who, I mean, I think we can agree, not too many people saw this coming out of the Vancouver Canucks, this year-over-year growth, but that doesn't prohibit you from going, all right, let's take in, let's be intellectually honest, take stock of what the Calgary Flames currently have in terms of inventory on their players, their contract situations, and when you have two, three, four 
pending unrestricted free agents, are you better served re-signing them if they're willing? Are you better served gathering as many assets as it stands right now? And granted, the Flames have turned things around of late, 3-1-1 one one in the past five games. But even with that, you're still sitting 26th in the league. And if the again, season doesn't end on November 16th, but if it did, you're sitting at a top 10 pick in the NHL draft. You owe it to yourself to, to be intellectually honest and go, which direction best suits, suits this team in the short term and the long term? And that doesn't necessarily mean a full, again, I think these are different things, doesn't necessarily mean a full-on teardown rebuild. There are retool elements that can happen here, but I don't think you look at the Vancouver Canucks and go, oh, yeah, let's, uh, let's follow that model where we're bringing in a whole bunch of uh, free agents. They, they really retooled. Yeah. in the summer, but I don't necessarily think... I don't look at anyone that they brought in, and apologies if I'm forgetting someone, but I don't necessarily look at all the work that was done and go, oh yeah, that's definitely the formula that the Calgary Flames need to follow. And that's just the one season, the, the, the one season or one off-season look from where they were last year to where they are right now on November 16th. It, it, there's definitely more that goes into it. They had to hit on Hughes and Pedersen. Uh, they, you know, Brock Besser is still there, and, and he's a guy that they were able to convince to sign and come out of college. But and, they were also willing to move their captain. They were. They were, absolutely. Um, they, they, re-signed, they, they, they re-signed JT Miller, and he's yep. off to a pretty good start to the season. And, and they acquired JT from Tampa Bay in a deal that's worked out pretty that well for them. That cost them a first-round pick. Cost them a first-round pick. But I, I look at it more because Alvin is still newish on the job as general manager of the Canucks. And this was, again, the first offseason where he's really been able to dig into it. And this is the way they've gone about it. Uh, this text says... At nine sixty nine sixty, Vancouver didn't retool. They finished their rebuild. Just looked at look at the draft position of Pedersen and Hughes. Could very well be the case. Um, this says the Oilers are in a precarious position this year, partially because a number of their players had career years last year. They aren't replicating this year. Is there a chance the same thing happens to the Canucks next year? Spoiler alert! But I do believe it is Derek Wills who came up with a stat that, as it stands today, thirteen members, thirteen Willsy. Members of the Vancouver Canucks are on pace for career years. That's monster. That goes back to the 2018-19 Calgary Flames where it but seemed like still, everybody did. They still have one of the best centers on the planet. Yep. They still have one of the best defensemen on the yep. planet. So I still, yes, do I think that there could be regression even as the year goes along with the Canucks? I, I absolutely do. But that's even taking it beyond this season. Say they finish top two in the Pacific Division as they're trending right now, tied for first in the division and conference. But is that sustainable through the rest of the year? Are we having the same conversation about the Vancouver Canucks man, being? Why out? do you hate West? the Canucks so I'm much? I'm not saying man. I don't. Not oh, saying boy, you got to do it. I'm just yeah. saying we're talking about a 15 game hey, sample size. If you're a seven seven eight area code uh, AA Vickers, I'm from BC. Twitter is the uh, I'm from BC. Where are you Technically, from? In Fort Saint John. No, it's Saint not John? Fort Saint John. And why I'm taking offense to Fort Saint John means Where nothing because mine's in Dawson Creek. Isn't the same thing? It's almost worse. I don't know if it's better, if it's worse. You I'm not going to get into it. You and Pacey and Joey. Oh, okay. <laughs> Dial it back just a little bit there. Uh, Robin Coldale says, regardless, the Flames have to trade all pending UFAs plus Markstrom. That's the way forward. Uh, this says... 
from Mike, who's uh, super sarcastic today. Uh, you mean drafting a franchise center and franchise defenseman in consecutive drafts is good? You don't say. I, I don't remember when I said that like it was a hot take, Mike. I just said that they've got a good core to build around. Um, this says they need to revamp the back end with younger players and prospects. Um, this says... Unless a team allows aging contracts to just expire, uh, they always have to be taking money back. Uh, back in the day, a rebuilding team's salary would go to go from fifty to sixty million down to thirty. That just doesn't happen anymore. Everything's on the fly. Retooling will always mean you're working backwards, or something didn't click. Um, Ray in Calgary says. Even if they trade Lindholm, Hannafin, etc., to contenders for first-round picks, I hate when the text line jumps like that. Uh, those picks will be late first-rounders and not blue chippers. So there you go at nine sixty nine sixty. I'm nobody's suggesting that they're going to get a number one overall pick by trading Noah Hannafin. But the more high top thirty-two picks you have, the better opportunity you have of bringing in really good players. The more darts you have. Players that can help you in two or three years as young NHLers who can be impact guys. I'm not suggesting that you're going to get a generational guy with who you get for Noah Hannafin, but doesn't mean that you can't get a good NHLer for it either. The more darts you have, the more better chance you have of hitting a bullseye at some point. Um, on the same kind of wavelength, the Flames have been linked to Vancouver on a few of the players they've got as pending unrestricted free agents, two of them in particular. Former Canuck Chris Tanev, who has only ever played in the NHL in Western Canada. Uh, so you've got Chris Tanev and Nikita Zadorov are the two guys that have been linked heavily to the Vancouver Canucks. Like, uh, I think we know for a fact um, that the Canucks are hot and heavy on Zadorov and would love to have him in that mix. And there's a big uh, ground swell. And even listening to Rick Dolly while that clip we played from Donnie and Dolly. Um, is it Dolly and Donnie or Donnie and Dolly? Anyway, from uh, Don Taylor and Rick Dolly while show in Vancouver. Uh, Rick with the, the idea that, hey, the Vancouver Canucks would love to bring Chris Tanev home. Uh, but the Flames are looking for yeah, a good young player in return. And uh, they're not looking for kind of mid-ish round picks for a guy like Tanev. I asked the question, are the Canucks a good trade partner for the Flames? When you look at everything, when you take into account they're a division rival, are the Canucks a, a good trade partner for the Flames? It's a good question. And I'm of the mind that if they're willing to pay the most for the asset, then yes. And if they're not, no. And thanks, Tips. That's a great analysis there. But I don't think the Calgary Flames should be worried or afraid or considering of making the Vancouver Canucks better in the short term if they are going for a rebuild, a retool, or whatnot. Because, you know what? The Calgary Flames, if they choose to go that route, probably aren't, I don't want to say not concerned about being competitive, but you're not worried about the Vancouver Canucks getting a final piece that's going to rob you of a playoff spot. Like your organizational shift is getting younger, rebuilding, acquiring assets to get the tools to be competitive again in two, three, four years. And to be perfectly honest, if you deal them, for example, uh, Chris Tanev or Nikita Zadorov, there's no guarantee that those players are on that team when your window of competitiveness reopens for Calgary. So I don't think the divisional element of 
oh, well, they play in the Pacific and we play in the Pacific, so they have the best offer to us, but we're not going to send them because they're in division. I don't think that's the right approach. I mean, outside of Edmonton, maybe Edmonton's the exception. No, I, 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 I even joke there. Uh, if, if Vancouver is going to give you the best return, if Vancouver wants Nikita Zadorov the most – or if they want Chris Tanev the most and they're going to pay more and give you a better return than Toronto or New Jersey or another team, then all day, every day, you swallow what might be an unpleasant pill and you trade them to a division rival. I think in a, in a cap world in the year 2023, soon to be 2024, I don't think that you can do that. I, if you're governed by a salary cap and the weight and importance of draft picks is as high as it ever has been in the history of the NHL, you can't you can't turn down the best trade just because they're 900 kilometers away or whatever Vancouver is because they're because you six see hour drive when you're with Pat Steinberg. You're <laughs> not six hours, but. Not, far Not off. ten either. Um, hey, that Coke, you go. You can you pop a little few winter tires on, and you just fly on that Coke. 120, then, you know, you don't ever go the speed limit. You go a little higher than that. Oh, you just fly on your way there. Um, I, I think absolutely they'd make a great trade partner because – they still want to upgrade their D right, right now. Carson Susie's out for a little bit, so maybe that even changes the conversation. If you can catch them being urgent. Exactly. Jack up the price a little bit, boom. Doesn't matter if they're a divisional rival or not. If you're set on taking a step back from your competitiveness now to put a better product on the ice in a couple years' time, you're not worried about what the Vancouver Canucks are doing. A uh, couple of texts at 960-960. If you have a good draft like Dallas, uh, you might get three really key players in the first round. ridiculous draft That's by from Dallas. Greg and Varsity. Who'd they get? Was that Haskinen? Uh, uh, Robertson and Ottinger? and Ottinger, maybe? That sounds right. I'll pull it up All here. All the same draft. As I, I believe that's text. correct, though. Um, this says the Flames need to start the rebuild immediately. If they're not good in five or six years, my son might turn into a Canucks fan and I'll have failed as a father. Oh, that's a fair that's point. That's aggressive. Uh, Matt and Cochran says I'm not worried about trading rentals to a division rival. Um, this says the Canucks are a good trade partner for Tanev, but not Big Z. Um, this says how did the Sven Berchi trade work out? They traded Berchi to the Canucks, and I believe that netted them Rasmus Anderson in a, the second round pick. Um, this says, oh, and I like this one from Archie and Blackfalds. Pat, Flames fans are obligated to hate whatever Western Canadian teams uh, every second they're higher in the standings. Stand, I stand with Vickers. That was when I was. See, maybe. look at that. And you weren't even purposely hating on the Canucks. I'm not even hating on the Canucks. Good on them for turning it around. I, that's what I said. You, not, not, you're not even hating on them. Yeah. Uh, the Flames can also use cap space and draft picks. Uh, they get trading their players to get creative to help teams against the cap. It can get them some additional picks, prospects, or players. Uh, that's from Mike in Thorncliffe. Just a little bit on the text line at 960-960. I just think when you're talking about a team that might be going in a different direction like we are right now, well, if you're going in a different direction, um, then you're talking about two or three years until you're back to being where you want to be. What do you care if you trade Tanev or Zadorov to the Vancouver Canucks? You're not worried about necessarily beating the Canucks in the playoffs in the next two to three years. So that that's kind of why I say I don't think that you should be hesitant to trade to a divisional rival 
if they're going to give you the best return. If Vancouver gives you the best offer, then you take that all day, every day. Yeah, you're not going to get a disagreement out of me because, as you mentioned, your your competitive windows might overlap at yours opening and theirs closing. Yeah. But other than that, why are you concerned about making the Vancouver Canucks better in 2023-24 if you're looking to move the complete opposite direction. Uh, Pat and Vickers along with you. This hour of Flames Talk is underway. We're here at the Scotiabank Saddledome in the Hot Stove Lounge, and everything is coming at you and emanating from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Do you have cracks in your walls, floors, or ceilings? Visit dlbasementsystems.com for a free estimate. They are all things basement-y. Talking your team right now. Flames Talk is on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Okay, I'm actually looking forward to talking to Brent Cron. For the first time in ages, I can uh, remember saying that. Let's go inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. This hockey season, support local. Find your all-time classics and locally brewed beers. Visit your local Calgary Co-op wine, spirits, beer today. I say I'm looking forward to them because, uh, well, we get to talk about uh, get to talk about something pretty cool because it was 20 years ago today, November 16th, 2003, when the Flames went out and acquired a little-known third-string goaltender from the San Jose Sharks by the name of Mika Kiprasov, who was playing behind Evgeny Nabokov and Vesa Toskala at the time. The Flames, who had recently sustained an injury to number one goaltender Roman Turek, needed to do something. So general manager Daryl Sutter at the time went out, sent a second-round pick to the San Jose Sharks, and brought in Mika Kiprasov. The rest, as we know, history. And Brent Cron, who was at that time only about three years removed from being a first-round pick at the Calgary Flames, uh, Brent Cron had a very unique perspective of that trade. Croner joins us now on our Inside Hockey feature. Hello, Croner. What's going on? Hello, Patrick. You know what? I'm uh, I'm driving home from work because I'm a working man, nine to five, blue collar. Also, uh, also, we saw you were at the dentist today, so hopefully everything. Went oh, well, well, that, that was chickens. actually that was from yesterday. I was. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, I, I uh, this is 24 hours delayed. I'm not a giant. Uh, I'm not a big fan of dentists or dental offices or anybody that works in a dental office. Having said that, um, a dear friend of mine, uh, a friend of the show, Paul Cruz, his, uh, you know, one of his uh, one of his one of his kids is a dental assistant at the, at the um, place I go to, and and and, and I uh, once again, I, there's three things I hate in this world: is is getting my hair cut getting my teeth cleaned and filling my vehicle full of gas. And uh, they, they at, at the dentist today, or yesterday's, pardon me, uh, made that experience smooth, comfortable. Okay. And, uh, I, and I hadn't been there in six years, and now I'm signed up to go in every six months because, you know what, these pearly yellows turned to pearly whites. And I had a couple, I had a couple uh, cavities that needed to be filled, and uh, they took care of that with minimal pain. And now it's like, hey, you know what? Now I got, now I just smile at everybody for no reason, even if I don't like you. Now it's like, hey, look at these teeth; they're beautiful. It's like, it looks like I've been chewing on gravel for a long time, but at least they're mm. white. Well, I'm, uh, I'm happy for you there. Um, so congratulations. I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that you could uh, carve some time out for us on your drive home. Um, what? Uh, 
Okay, take us back. November 16th, 2003. I don't know which of the 14 teams you played for that year you were with at the time, but uh, where where were you when you found out the Flames had gone out and made a deal for a goaltender by the name of Mika Kiprasov? You were that was your first year of pro hockey, right? Ruined my life, actually. It ruined my whole <laughs> NHL career. Um, I had no idea who Mika Kiprasov was. And I remember, because I believe at the start of that season, um, you know, and, and it's so long ago, that it could have been a year or two, but I, I do remember Turk being on the team. He had a concussion at the start of the year or something that I came in. And I, I played in Vegas at the start of the season, played a couple games, then got called up to Lowell in the American Hockey League because the Flames split with, with Carolina. Danny Sabrin went up to the NHL. I went to Lowell. I played my very first American League hockey game against Tim Thomas, who I thought, had no business being in the American Hockey League at the time because he was pushing the goalie net off and losing his marbles. I'm like, who is this guy? He's like, he's 30 years old. What is he doing here? And it turns out he carved out quite a one hell of a career for himself. And I'm a, a, a giant fan of Tim Thomas. Um, and then I went back down because they, they got this guy named Kippersoff. So then Sabrin went back down to Lowell. I went back down to Vegas, and they loaned me out to, to Florida. Uh, Rick Dudley picked me up because he obviously saw a bunch of potential in me. Him and Daryl made a made a not even a deal, just like hey, like we're just going to give you this guy for nothing. And so I went and played in Florida for a bit. And Austin, this guy named Kippersoff just comes in and just starts stealing the show this, with his uh, white pads with a teal outline and a white mask. It didn't and even I, have I didn't the even NH- have the right pads yet. <laughs> didn't even have the right pads yet. I'm watching this on the NHL Network and I'm like, oh, this is not going to last. This isn't going to work. <laughs> It's not a big deal. Like, don't don't stress. There'll be the 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 error of Quran at some point. And I as, as I uh, continue to watch this man, I was like, holy smokes, he's actually one hell of a goalie. Holy, how did he make that save? Oh my God, this guy's unbelievable. And 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 as it continued, I'm like, I got to be a a, a black ace for the the Flames in that Cup run there in Mika's first year when they kind of eked themselves into the playoffs. Yep. I believe they, they 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 clinched in a one nothing game against the Phoenix Coyotes or a two nothing game, but kept one nothing. Yep. Yeah. Right. And I remember watching that game, and I just remember sitting there like, "Oh boy, this is you know I'm I'm very excited because I I grew up with Flames fan. I love I love awesome goalies, and it's just too bad, selfishly, that uh, this man has landed in the Flames organization when I am <laughs> on my way up." But uh, but 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 being around him in that playoff run, I, I tell you what, I, I after I met him and watched him play personally and in in the same building and being a third goal and all that fun stuff, um, just uh, what he did, it, it it changed my approach, it changed my game. Talking with him, um, I have the utmost respect, and I know I'm being kind of a, 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 a facetious here, but. Hey, earlier on, but uh, I, I tell you what, that that guy was worth his weight in gold. They they, they bring him over, and and just everything that he did, um, the way he stopped the puck, the confidence he gave the team, uh, the way he battled, the the, the durability uh, of Mika Kiprasov. That especially that that cup run was 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 absolute insanity. And I'll just I'll never forget the way the guy could bounce back from a bad game, and and, and just sitting in the press box and watching this guy. Um, being on the ice with him in, in pregame skates, being on the ice with him in practice, where he would he would come to me and say, "Hey, I, I'm just going to take a, 
a couple shots to the gloves today, and then I'm getting off the ice. And I was like, oh, this is a great idea. And then as soon as I would step in, in, in the net, all the headshots <laughs> would start coming. Everybody would be like, we wiring them top cheese. And, and I would remember sitting there just, you know, I, I want this. I want the Mika Kiprasov respect from the teammates where it's like we're just, they know how good he is. They know how, how much uh, they, they need him on. And, and, and for, for a while there, for a very long time, and as you know, Pat, uh, anytime any goaltender would go in, aside from Mika Kiprasov, after that playoff run, it, it, it didn't matter. The, the Flames were more often than not going to lose. And, and, and he masked uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, flaws in, in, in the Calgary Flames. He, he elevated yep. them to, to a level that uh, was taken for granted, in my opinion, because of how good he was. And then when Mike Keenan came, it made, it made hockey no fun, and uh, he wasn't coaching Mike Richter. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, Kiprasov, you know, in his 10 years with the team and what he was able to do uh, in that period of time and how well he was able to do it, he's an icon, man. That guy's phenomenal. And then, you know, for you guys in the media, obviously love trying to interview the guy when you get one-word answers. It was just uh, the best thing ever. The I, uh, Brent Cron's with us. The 20-year anniversary today, November 16th, of the Mika Kiprasov trade uh, acquired from San Jose on November 16th of 2003. The rest is history. The rest of that year in the regular season, uh, Kiprasov went on to go 24-10-4 with a 9.33 save percentage and a 1.7 goals against the rest of that regular season. Just bonkers numbers what he, uh, what he was able to do. And then obviously uh, winning the 15 playoffs games that year what what you, you talked about the way that he prepared himself and you talked about the way that um you know how focused he was like what tell tell us a little bit about behind the scenes Mika Kiprasov getting ready for a hockey game Mika Kiprasov getting ready for a practice like just what what stuck out to you in terms of the way he went about his business well for for my experience with him which I mean you know the, the, obviously you've had guys on the show that have played with him for 10 years when I get called up every once in a while I would just I would just I would just watch him. I was told to watch him, um, and he would and he, he would stretch a ton. But he and that's really all, <laughs> in my opinion. The guy didn't have a, like a, just a crazy uh, warm up routine where he's throwing balls against the wall and and you know doing all these kind of uh, closing your eyes and pretending you're making glove saves type stuff. He was a guy that just just stretched a ton. You you couldn't recognize him as an athlete if he was walking around the mall. <laughs> People would just look at him like, "Oh, hey, who's this guy? He must, uh, he might, he might be the plumber showing up in my house." Um, <laughs> but like, you know, we we all know who he was. But at the, the between the years, that guy was dialed in. And, and I, I've said this before on your show a, a ton of times. It's when I was a kid, we, I grew up listening to, uh, or not listening to. Sorry, uh, we get the hockey news every month, and they'd have the Elston's NHL, and they'd have all these little little skits, these, these humorous skits about players or something that had transpired. Yep that month or that week or whatever, right? And so I, I'll never forget, and I actually I may even have it clipped out if I could find it at home. Um, Elston had a, uh, you know, uh, it was called the, 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 the Mika Kiprasov roller coaster, and all it was was just a straight line, right? You know, we, we've all been on roller coasters before where it's exciting <laughs> and it's rolling, you're going up and down. And Mika Kiprasov and how he played the game, you could never tell if he was losing 7-1 or if he was up 2-1. You just... He just went out there, and whether he was falling apart inside or melting down, you could never, ever, ever tell. 
And I just remember watching him and, and that mental edge that he would have in games, especially for me watching him. And there was a big – he kind of kicked off a wave of a, of a ton of Finnish goalies coming into the league, right? Like the, he was playing against – For sure. Backstrom. There, was, there, there was Kari Lefton and Tuka Rask was coming in. Um, I mean, uh, uh, there, Hanu Toivonen was a big draft pick of the Bruins that didn't really pan out. Uh, and I, and I, Pekka Rene, there was a punch, bunch of guys where – you know the, the the Canadian style of uh, of goaltending was very robotic, very calculated. Play your angles. You'd you'd watch the Alex Alds, the Patrick Waz. You know Patrick Waz was actually a bit of a, a an anomaly. But even you know Marty, everything was just kind of cut your angles down, be a big guy. You know there was a, there was you know it wasn't an equation, but there was a formula to it. Whereas the the the, the Finns kind of came in and and it was just it was it was pure athleticism. I played with Kari Lettman where. Um, you know, he, he obviously didn't have the, the record uh, that uh, that uh, uh, Kippersoff did or, or, or the result, but it's, it was just based on your – I mean, even Antti Niemi, he looked awful in that. But all, all of these guys that came in because of a guy like Kippersoff, where it was just – you marveled at his athleticism. You marveled at his lateral movement. You marveled at him being able to keep the game simple. And then on top of that, when, when tensions were high, when the game was on the line – you know, did his heart beat? We couldn't tell. I'm sure it did. He was alive, obviously, yeah. but you couldn't, you, you couldn't tell. And and that kind of wry smile behind his mask when he'd lift it up, you're just like, this is awesome. You know, a guy like that, that he just, obviously he cared. He had a big heart. He wanted to win. He was a winner. He was he was amazing. But the way he carried himself, it's like that, that kind of sets the stage for a guy like, a guy like Kerry Price that just kind of goes and going through the motions is disrespectful. But Kippersoft did the same thing. It's like, is, is, is he even like, is he paying attention back there? Like, is, is, he, is he okay? Like, he doesn't know that the game's still going on. And these guys, you could on the outside, they were just so calm and confident, and they'd play a bad game, they could bounce back, and you know, it was just, uh, you know, for me personally, it was it was a big motivator. Um, and a driver when I get to sit down and talk with Kip. I mean, he was competitive. The guy cared. The guy tried. And and in Calgary Flames fans, we all know how good he was. But you sit down and talk with the guy, and it's just your your job's just to stop the puck. And that was it. Was just simple. It's like just make the save. And if you don't make the save, you don't have a time machine. You can't you can't fix the past. Yeah, it was a bad goal. But that guy had more credit with his teammates. He he could let in bad goal after bad goal after bad goal. And and uh, and nobody. I, you know what? I'll never forget. We were uh, we were in Vancouver in a, in a, in a preseason game, and uh, and I was I was playing that and it, whatever. I think we lost. I, I don't even remember what the outcome was. I remember Daryl coming coming to me, and he's just like, you know, like that third goal you let in. Like you could have stopped that. And I said, yes, I could. And he he just told me, he's like, well, get you know, you, you need to get to Kippersoft's level where we know that when that goal goes in, there's nothing else getting by you. And that was Kippersoff. He let in a bad goal, there's nothing else getting in. And he I remember him telling me that. Just watch Kippersoff. He lets in a bad goal. He's not letting in any, It's not breaking him. There's a lot of goalies that need to get a couple saves under their belts to start the game. And two, three, four saves. Okay, now I'm in. Kippersoff let the first two goals in. And he would stop the remaining shots and the Flames win 3-2. Like, the guy was as mentally strong as they come. And, 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 he's, and, and I just, I, I, for my money, he was one of the best to ever play. And I got I got respect for him coming out the yin yang. I think he's I think he's just unbelievable. 
Um, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll make the last one quick and then of course, stay on the line. We all, we always have your treat for you at the end, but, um, but, uh, what, what type of dude was he just, just quickly, what type of dude was Kiprasov? Um, for, for what I knew of him in the brief period of time that I would get to hang out with him when I was called up or around him, he was a great teammate. He had an unbelievable sense of humor. And, and the only story I have with him, because I did not get to brush shoulders with him as much as I would like, but I do believe I, when the Flames played Detroit, I, and I think it was in, in, in round two, um, the Flames had lost 5 nothing, And I remember sitting in Joe Lewis Arena watching the game from the rafters. And I believe the final score was 5 nothing, And I'm, I'm going to have to fact check this at the end of the day, too. But... That sounds right, Crotter. Game one, game one of round two, five nothing sounds right. It was a, it was right. a lopsided game at the very, very, at the very, very least. Right, and I, and I remember, you know, I'm a black ace, so, so I'm a nobody. My, my job is, is you know, the, the best thing about Joe Louis Arena at the time was I, you know, there was a, there was a stack of Little Caesars pizzas, and I would grab one myself. I'm like, these are absolutely delicious, and I know that I'm not playing any game, so I'm going to dummy a wheel because. <laughs> I, 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 I skated in the morning. I got bag skated after practice. Plus, I worked out in the first period. I was in the best shape of my life. I was 9.6% body fat. I couldn't even recognize myself today. They, they, bag, they bagged the wheels off me. I was smiling from ear to ear in that second round because I got to eat pizza nonstop. Having said that, I remember after that game, after the, the, the cheese and the pineapple finished sliding down my goal, and I ran onto the bus, and Kiprasov was already on the bus, and he kind of, you know, smacked his smacked his hand on the seat beside him and he's like come sit beside me and we we did team just lost i got have no part of it whatsoever i my my job is not to be noticed seen or get in the way and uh i sit beside him and he starts telling me jokes and they're funny jokes and i'm laughing and i didn't play and everybody else is looking at me like why are you why are you laughing what are you doing doing what are you doing? And I, I get a tap on the shoulder. I won't, I won't say who. And he looks at me and he goes, you're going to be a dead man here shortly if you cannot stop laughing. And, and, and that's not exactly how the conversation went. I'm sure you can pick up what I'm laying down. And I knew the consequences of what I was doing, but it, it was also not my fault because Kip was just too funny. And I looked at him like, you have to stop because... They're not going to send me to the mine. They're probably just going to shoot me and dump me into the into the lake. Here is what that's my next course of action, right? Like you do understand what you're doing, and he knew exactly. And he wasn't malicious in it. He just had a sense of humor, and I loved him for it. You lose five nothing. It's the playoffs. It's like you said, game one or whatever it was in Detroit, and you know it's a serious time. And yeah, yeah. So what? I lost five nothing. We won the series. You know that that was his mentality. It's like, well, it's one game at a time. I'll make the save. I, I had a lot of guys that I knew that played with him where he was just that guy. He would go out and live his life and show up for hockey every night and be the best player. And uh, that's a yep. special talent and a, and a special man. And, and I didn't have that ability, and I admired it all the time. And I wasn't the guy joking after a 5 nothing loss. Um, but I do believe if you check your records, game two, I believe he was first star, and it was a 2-1 overtime victory or something similar along those lines. And you couldn't argue with results, and that's one thing that Kip could do. He was a results-driven man, and, and every time I'd go in in the off season talking to Daryl, Daryl would be, you know, 
he, the, the, the praise he would have for Kiprasov and to watch him and to pay attention to him, I, uh, I, I definitely listened and tried my best. Uh, thanks, Croner. Stay on the line. Brent Cron, uh, our NHL goaltending analyst, 20 years ago was the Mika Kiprasov trade with the San Jose Sharks. That was a uh, fun trip down memory lane. Inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. Let's go local Calgary from best from the West. Canadian produce, uh, produce to quality only Alberta meats. Find your local at Calgary Co-op. Shop online or in store today. Aaron Vickers on Twitter at AA Vickers as we start to wrap up this hour from the Scotiabank Saddledome. That'll do it for the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. This Christmas, give the gift of security with smart locks and safes. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com.